Hello, this is Good Enough Guess, and we're on episode 2 of the Peloponnesian War. It's been more than a month since I last posted, so let's get started. Sometimes when you're telling a story, you kinda have to decide to pause it at the moment of greatest suspense, which is exactly what I did. Because a story is more than just information, it's the greatest and simplest form of entertainment. The simpler the better. The storytellers decide the flow of their stories, where it starts and where it ends. Herodotus was one of these great storytellers, and he told the story of the Persian Wars, the greatest news story of his time. And like all storytellers, he told it how he saw fit, saying whatever made it more interesting. Historian Paul Cartledge says, We must either have a history with Herodotus, or not at all. For many of your people living in ancient Greece, your poor average people, Seeing an army from this faraway mythical east marching to conquer your land was something of a legend. Even to the people of the time, stories were how people understood the world, how the world was turning, and how its people lived. That army from the mythical east, from the faraway lands of Susa and Persepolis, had began its invasion of Greece. To understand why the king of kings had wanted to conquer and destroy the Greek cities, we have to look back to his own past history. When he was younger, King Darius had led an invasion of Scythia, the edge of what was then the known world. The 37-year-old king who had just finished putting down the rebellions of his empire, and he wanted more. He set his eyes to what is now southern Russia to fight against the nomadic horse tribes. He won the region after a hard, long war of attrition, yet on his way back he passed by Greece. Perhaps the king waited for an opportunity to declare war on the Greeks, ever since that close encounter in his younger years. The famous two-part invasions of Greece by Darius and his successors were actually two and a half. Darius sent his son-in-law, Meridinus, to the north of Greece with a fleet and an army. Meridinus began his invasion by crossing with his fleet across the Bosphorus from Turkey into Greece. He separated his army with his fleet and sent the fleet down the Greek coast, attacking coastal cities. Meridinus stayed with his army and fought battle after battle, winning victories against the, against the Thracian tribes. Meridinus must have known he was at the edge of the known world. His supply lines cut off with the separation of his fleet, his desperation increasing, fighting tribes in the middle of nowhere. After a series of close victories against the Thracians, all that was left was the island of Thassos off the coast of Greece. While the Thracians had believed they retreated to the safety of an island, the fleet returned from its expeditions and attacked the island. With the fall of Thrace, the gates of Greece were opened for the enemies of the armies of the king. As the fleet of Darius left the now quiet and lonely island, Meridinus would leave with his force into deep inland, fighting any tribes who didn't bend the knee. The Persian fleet, on the other hand, continued military operations on the Greek coast until it reached the peninsula of Mount Athos. The 6,000-foot-tall mountain looked on as a storm and wind destroyed the royal fleet. 3,300 ships and 20,000 men were killed overnight. Here we see maybe the most important storm in the history of the Greeks, saving them in the time of greatest need. Herodotus of Halicarnassus says, But a great and irresistible north wind fell upon them as they sailed past, and dealt fiercely with them, driving many of their ships upon Athos, 
It is said that about 300 ships were lost, and more than 20,000 men. As news of the fleet spread faster than slow-moving ships, the Greeks knew they weren't ready for Darius, and we could only imagine how they felt when news of its destruction reached them. At almost exactly the same moment, Meridinus and his Persian army were ambushed in his camp by one of the final stubborn holdouts against Persian rule. The Beringians, a horse-riding tribe of the last free Thracians, attacked the army and injured Meridinus. Meridinus had known that he had failed. Without the Persian fleet to support him, he was forced to return to Persia. <clears throat> Yet in his final act in Europe, an injured man, Meridinus attacked the Beringians, captured their lands, burned their crops, and subjugated them for the empire. Three months' journey away, Darius knew that his death was soon coming. The old king had ruled for far longer than any other in Persian history. He knew that time was of the essence, and he knew that he could not die without destroying Greece. Knowing that the element of surprise was lost, and that Greece was preparing for war, he sent messages to every free city in Greece, no matter how small. And every message read exactly the same, with a simple letter, Earth and water, or be destroyed. Every single city in Greece replied the same, surrendering to the king but two, Athens and Sparta, who both replied in two very different ways. Herodotus of Halicarnassus says, When Darius had previously sent men with the same purpose, those who had made the request were cast at the one city into the pit, and at the other into a well, and bidden to obtain their earth and water for the king from these locations. The democracy of Athens replied by putting the ambassadors on fair trial, putting the verdict to a vote, and executing them. The king of Sparta, Cleomenes I, simply responded by having his soldiers throw the poor ambassador into a well, saying, you can find both down there. Darius took the opportunity of the death of King Cleomenes and his succession by King Leonidas I. The King of Kings summoned troops, gold, and ships from across his empire. He launched the greatest fleet in the history of the world up until that point, 600 triremes carrying 26,000 marines. Each soldier fought in a unit from his nation or tribe, with the army made up of dozens of different peoples. The army's corps was made up of Persians, Medians, Sakas, and Kissians. The army was divided into two main sections, a front-line section armed with wicker shields, a short spear, and a sword. The back was the main part of the army, made up of Persians and Medians armed with a long-range bow. The traditional Persian ba battle plan was to fire a massive volley of arrow fire, and then for the front army to charge, killing off any survivors. The centerpiece of the Persian army were the Immortals, highly trained troops who were the king's imperial guard and fought at his command. Herodotus of Halicarnassus states, His corpse were known as the Immortals because invariably kept up the strength. If a man was killed or fell sick, the vacancy he left was at once filled, so that the total strength of the corpse was never less and never more than 10,000 men. Persian forces landed in the city of Iteria. For six days they laid siege to the city, fighting its people on its walls. On the seventh day, its temples were burned, its wealth looted, and its people enslaved. Persia had been an example to the Greek world, and to Athens only 50 kilometers away. 
they knew they were next on the Persian hit list. So far in the story, the Persian army has fought no great battle, nor captured any great city. This was all about to change, and for better or for worse, Athens would have to face Greece. The Athenians, being a passionate democracy, quickly tried to vote on what to do. Some, being rational people, wanted to surrender to the king of kings. A smaller yet louder minority wanted to fight the Persians to the last man, using the army to give time for the evacuation of the women and children of the city. Athens was the oldest city of Greece, and its people believed that its final day was coming. Athens was fighting the Persian army alone, with no help from the neighboring cities of Sparta or Thebes. Only the small army of Plataea offered 1,000 hoplites, which marked forever Plataea as an enemy of the king. Only 40 kilometers from Athens, the great fleet of Darius met shore in the early morning, and its marines flared out the triremes, establishing a beachhead. Herodotus of Helicarnassus says, After subduing Iteria, the Persians waited a few days and then sailed away to the land of Attica, pressing ahead in expectation of doing to the Athenians exactly what they had done to the Iterians. Under the leadership of Mithridates, the army of 9,000 of the city's highly trained hoplite troops marched at breakneck speed to Marathon. On the beachhead, the troops flowed in rank and file, with the center of the Athenian column four men deep, and the flanks eight men deep. Each soldier held his shield tightly, and his spear tighter. The unit was packed, giving no space for the Persian army to divide them. For five days, the Athenians held their line within the sight of the enemy. For five days, no one made a move. The Athenians couldn't attack as they were hoping for any Spartan reinforcements. The Persians couldn't attack because they couldn't use their cavalry as the Athenians stood their ground between two forests. For five days, almost nothing happened on the battlefield, until the Persians sent their cavalry in secret to Athens itself. Athens was nearly tired of waiting for the Spartan army, and took the moment to strike. As the army marched, they took nearly clustered from the Persian archers in the battle. They marched in battle units, the phalanx went tight Soldiers were protected by the heavy bronze armor, covering almost all of their body. Hoplite armor saved them from the arrows that blotted out the sun. Herodotus says, And so the foreigners attacked. But when the Athenians in combined force fell upon the foreigners, they fought worthy of record and honor. When they finally got out of arrow range 200 meters from the Persian line, they charged and they broke the families. Persians won almost every single one of their battles by mowing down the lightly armored enemy with arrow fire. Here, Athens defied them. Their forces slaughtered the light Persian troops. Iron-tipped spears eight feet long decimated the Persians. Panic took the numerically superior Persian troops. Their army, Darius' final effort against the Greeks, failed spectacularly. Historian John Lazenby says, Marathon was won because ordinary amateur soldiers found the courage to break into a run when the arrows began to fall, instead of grinding to a halt. And when surprisingly, the enemy wings fled, not to take the easy way out and following them, but to stop and somehow come to the aid of the hard, pressured center. 
For the first time in history, the Persians lost a war, with the successor of Darius, his son Xerxes, will carry on his father's project to destroy the Hellenes for good.